Let me suggest that you open your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And when I get the thumbs up from uh, the operator up the back there, I'll announce it again. We're back again. I want to ask you to turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I think on the screen it might tell you that we're going to start the reading at verse 18. But I'm going to go back to verse 12. So if you can check chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, beginning the reading at verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. Nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That takes us to the end of Verse 6, and next week you will commence again at verse 7. I guess you're like us. Night time comes, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. We turn on the news. 
and as we turn on the news, you see a lot of who against whom, uh, this compared with that, uh, winner and loser, uh, good in relation to bad, somebody challenges somebody else, or on one hand this, on the other hand that. And frankly, half the time, I want to listen to real news. However, it's this kind of thing that we're actually seeing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. So that, on one hand, you have Moses. On the other hand, you have Christ. Old covenant, new covenant. Law, grace, perversion, integrity, lies, truth, blindness, sight, self-centeredness, Christ-centeredness, darkness, light. It's all there. Now, last week, under Carl's guidance, we looked on one hand at veiled glory, on the other hand at revealed glory. And so we see Moses at the bush and we see the light and the glory, but it's momentary. And then we see Moses at Sinai and there is the brightness of glory, but it's momentary, it's veiled. We can say of Moses, a light to the world, but a dimmed one. And then on the other hand, we find in verse 14 of our reading, the veil is removed, taken away only in Christ. And so when we go to John's Gospel, we have him there as the perfect co-creator. And as we walk with him, it's just glory all the way. And when we come to the transfiguration, of course, Elijah and Moses are there, Peter, James and John, overwhelmed with the brightness of his glory. The resurrection. Thomas said, it's okay for you guys. You claim to have seen him. I won't believe until I see. And then Jesus is there. Tom, have a look. Touch me. Gentlemen, give me something to eat. And we find him on his knees in the presence of the true light. On Patmos, John saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. What happened? It was just too much for him. He fell on his feet as one dead. And then we see that wonderful vision in heaven where the whole of heaven is singing, Worthy is the Lamb. The light of the world never, ever, ever to dim. You see the contrast. Well, by way of revision and summary of what we're up to in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1 we read that the Father of compassion, the God of all grace, has allowed us to stand firm beside the light of the world, Jesus Christ. According to chapter 1, God has put his seal of ownership upon us, he's put his spirit into us, and he's given to us a new covenant ministry. Not the Moses kind, the Christ kind. And we are to reflect that glory. Now, I'm not going to take you to all of the contrasts that I see, but I'm going to take you to some. So of this ministry concerning which we read in the very first verse, 
On one hand, you have the old ministry. On the other hand, you have the new ministry. Law, grace and mercy. So law through Moses says, do a thousand things. And then we hear the Apostle Paul saying, I've tried and I've tried and I cannot do it. What a wretched man I am. And then on the other hand, we hear the voice of Jesus, come to me, take my hand. That's the contrast. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 4. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. We persevere. Our daughter Kath, when she was going through her teenage years, was a very keen young evangelist. And Alyssa happened to be one of the girlfriends that Kath packed so much time into. And she was coming on so well. Kath came home from church one night and she just came into our bedroom weeping. And I said, Kath, what is it? She said, Dad, I have packed so much time into Alyssa and it seems as if she's just turned her back on Jesus. I said, darling, remember, you're the servant. It is your master's work and he, through his spirit, will do what he is going to do because he's all-powerful. Now let's pray together and you go and have a good sleep. You're doing, being a good servant. Well, that was 40 years ago, 35 years ago. She's still at it. She's learned to persevere. Well, that's Kath, but take a look at the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, I'm amongst a bunch of people who have pretty dumb mind. He persevered. He said to the Galatians, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Yet he persevered, though it was difficult. This is why Paul can say to us, We do not lose heart because of the incredible ministry that we have. A marvellous ministry because we have the opportunity of taking people to the wonder person, if you like. The perfect person. The one concerning whom we can say to that friend to whom we're speaking, hey, my dear friend, you know he died for you, don't you? He died for you. He gave everything for you. That's our ministry. That's our ministry. On one hand, law that frustrates. But it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ who says, come to me, take my hand. Secondly, on one hand, we can spoil that ministry by perversion. On the other hand, we can present it well with integrity. Perversion, integrity. There's your contrasts. So verse 2 says, There are things that we renounce as shameful, deceitful, and they are a distortion of the ministry. And Paul says, we'll have nothing to do with it. Hey, have you ever had somebody say to you, uh, the Lord told me something or other, and you've sort of scratched your head and wondered whether it was really a, a manipulative effort that really said, 
I want to do what I want to do. Have you ever felt that way? I had an Australian Christian man come to me one day and he told me that his wife was dying of terminal cancer. And he showed me his air ticket. He was off to the Philippines to find a new wife because the Lord told him to. Doesn't it make you wonder? Doesn't it make you think of those words shameful, deceitful, distortion? Um, Televangelist in the States. Well, he needed to get round for his ministry, so he already had two jet aircraft. One was a Gulfstream. But the Lord told him to get another one. It was going to be a Falcon 7X. It was going to cost $54 million. And the Lord had put his finger on the particular plane that he needed to buy. The Lord told him to buy that one. Doesn't it make you a bit cynical? Don't you think distortion? The Apostle Paul says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. We do not distort the word of God. We don't tell our little kids that despite their body parts, they don't really know what they are, boy or girl, and somewhere they're going to have to make a decision. We don't tell them that because we don't distort things. We don't say love is the measure of all things, so provided you love, you can do what you like. We don't say that because it's a distortion. Rather, on the contrary, we say, yes, Lord Jesus, we will stick to your truth. We will present the word of truth plainly. That's your Bible reading. And further, you can say to all the people around you, check me out. Check me out. It's not just what I say, it's how I live. Did you note that? Verse 2. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So listen to my words Watch me. I was about four feet tall. In a few seconds, I rose to about five foot six. Just, you think I didn't, don't you? I'll tell you how it happened. Our next door neighbour, who was not a Christian, said to me, now you know that I've been going to church. But he said, the very best sermon I have ever heard is watching your dad live. That's what took me from four feet to five foot six. The best sermon I've ever heard was watching your dad live. Word, action. We speak, but people are watching. We commend ourselves. So, no perversion of the truth, no distortion. We act with integrity. There's your contrast. Number three. Now, this ministry. This ministry in which we are to show integrity because we are committed to plainly living and saying the word of truth. Uh, 
has to be done within a secular nation, a secular society. And so on one side, people who are there being affected by truth are not really following it at all. In fact, we're told in verse 4 that they're siding with the God of this age. Not the God of eternity, the God of this age. So you've got the contrast there. On one side, the followers of the God of this age. On the other side, you've got those who side with Jesus as Lord, verse 5. And so you've got, on one hand, you've got the one that veils the gospel. And even when people hear it and see it, he pulls the wool over their eyes. And on the other hand, you've got truth in Jesus, which we are to say and to live. But over here, you've got the, the angel of light, as you know, or the roaring lion, wandering about seeking whom he may devour. That's the adversary. And that's the God of this age, in contrast to those who are committed to Jesus Christ as Lord. And it can happen in a thousand different ways. Let me illustrate a few. A beautifully, beautifully bound book. Best Book Award winner of the year. I started to read it. Like it's theology. And I found that God, according to this book, is whatever your mind makes up that you need. And I thought, surely when I get to the chapter on the Lord Jesus, it's going to be better than that. And frankly, the Lord Jesus was no better than Paul. He was just a great prophet. And you know what Paul was like. I tried to do what is right, but I can't. What a wretched man that I am who can deliver me. That's about what Jesus was. Led astray by a theologian. Um, what's atheistic evolution all about? You know, the, the goo to you. The back of that for so many is... We don't want to create a God. We will not acknowledge a creator God. And so do they need a recreator God? Do they need a gospel? No. I hope you're teaching creator God, recreator God within your homes. Because your kids are up against something far, far different. Being led astray. We may be led astray or people may be led astray by the rotten example of Christians, frankly. I hate it when people say to me, it's okay for you, Robert, you see them on Sunday, we've got to do business with them on Monday. Or we may be led astray by churches that focus on social gospel, which means do a thousand really, really good things, and of course you're acceptable to God with no reference whatsoever to all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, dead in trespasses and sin. And a whole host of people can be led astray. Uh, Laurel and I have been strongly connected with part of the Assyrian community of Sydney um, over, recent, over the past 30 years. And, uh, and uh, I say to one Assyrian fellow, well, is your friend here a Christian? And he will respond every time, all Assyrians are Christians. And I think if Assyrians are brought up with that environment, all Assyrians are Christians, where then 
Where then is the recognition of the new birth? You know, one of these guys, one of these guys, all Assyrians are Christians. I said to him one day, I said, Hubert, Hubert, you come from Iran, you come from Tehran, you're Assyrian, and I hear you talking about Assyrian Presbyterianism. And I said, you know all the colours and all the bells and the smells and the liturgies and the order and the regulations and the architect of Presbyterianism. You know it from A to Z. I happen to be a Presbyterian minister. I know nothing, nowhere near as much as you do about all the bells and smells of Presbyterianism. But I never hear you talking about the Lord Jesus. Do you read your Bible? He said, no. I said, well, listen, I want you to take John's Gospel and allow yourself to begin to see and understand the one who is absolutely central to the Christian faith, the Lord Jesus. He said, I'll do it. When he got to chapter 7, you know, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink water from the pool of Siloam, all of that stuff, he gave me a call. He said, Robert. I said, yep. He said, I feel as if I've just had my first bath. I said, what do you mean? He said, the Lord Jesus has made me clean. That's different from the bells and spells of religion, isn't it? Led astray by believing a whole culture is Christian. And there's hardly a Jesus in it. You know what Paul says about that? If somebody is presenting a different gospel, let him be accursed. Listen to me again. Let him be accursed. That's how important it is. That's how serious it is. And so, there we have it. Let me move on. It is terribly, terribly shameful, to use this contrast again, where on one hand, our ministry concerning Jesus tends to focus back on us, self-centeredness, instead of, on the other hand, Christ-centeredness. This is what Paul says in verse 5. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord We are but servants, bond slaves. In other words, everything that we are as Christian people with this ministry should draw attention to the Lord Jesus and definitely not to us. You know, it worries me. I'm on Facebook. On Facebook, there's a lot of communication on Facebook with family overseas and with the congregations that we've been involved in. I'm there without apology. I dare not spend too much time on it. But it worries me every time when practically every week there is a new profile photo of Bill or Mary up on Facebook. This is me again in a new dress. This is me in a new pose. This is me. This is me. This is me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And these are Christian people. where our responsibility is to draw attention to the Lord Jesus all the time, isn't it? It just worries me. Because I want to compare that with John the Baptist. You know, there he is. He's copying it from all quarters. He's doing what God wants him to do. He introduces Jesus to the world. And what happens? John chapter 1. Immediately, some of his disciples move across to Jesus. And become followers of Jesus. Are you aware of how hard it is 
when pastors see parishioners move to another parish because there's something a bit better there? You're aware of how much that can hurt? And yet John the Baptist, pointing people to Jesus, loses his following. And what are his words in chapter 3? He must increase, I must decrease. Oh, that every morning we get out of our beds, that our first prayer is, Lord Jesus, that you may increase today and I may decrease. Because I think we're all aware of this. Uh, Just talk to our wives and husbands. The more like me I am, the uglier I am. And the unhappier people are who associate with me. But the more like Jesus I am, the more beautiful I become. And those around me are happier. Is that the way you feel? (laughs) Or are you different from me? (laughs) Have you had a laurel? It's reality. And our call is to look at the light in the face of the Lord Jesus and reflect it. Because when we come to verse 5, this being more like Jesus and less like ourselves is for Jesus' sake. I had somebody walk out of the Springwood Church one day and say, Robert, you finished your prayer with for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? What's sake? I mean, do, do we use sake in any other way in day-to-day conversation? I don't. I only use it in the sense for Jesus' for Jesus' sake. And, and I, I said to the fella, I said, hey, I'm going to do a little bit more work on that. So I rang him up during the week and said, this is what I found. But let's say you're Japanese, okay, and you've come to Australia... And, and your English is pretty good, and you're not only reading this, that, and the other thing from university, but you're also reading the Bible because you want to get to know the Bible, and you come to Second Corinthians chapter 4, and you read for Jesus' sake. And you've never seen the word sake, you've never heard anybody use it before, you wonder what it means, so you look up your dictionary. S-A-K-E. What's the definition? Drink. Exactly. Alcoholic drink. Sake. Sake. <laughs> In other words, total confusion for this Japanese person because it's the word for alcoholic drink in the Japanese language. Let me tell you something. If in the presentation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this particular ministry, if we're drawing attention to ourselves instead of to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are as confused as that Japanese student. And that is exactly what Jesus had to confront. Because what were the Pharisees doing? Well, I'm going to fast for a bit, so I'm going to paint my face, I'm going to look as if I've been fasting for six months so that people will be impressed and then I'll go and stand on the street corner and let them see. What's his ministry? Me. 
And when they come to one of the parties, what do they look for? Front seats. Why? Me. And that was the confusion of the Pharisees. They were not pointing to the one to whom they should have been pointing, the one to whom we must point. Finally, finally, another section. Here are the possibilities, this contrast. Darkness, light. We're called to be light. Uh, This is what we read in verse 6. He has made his light to shine into our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God, which we see in the face of Jesus. That's our ministry. And so we come to John's gospel. The word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, We saw his glory. He was full of grace and truth. The true light was coming into the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so we are to reflect that light. This is what we see here in Corinthians. In my study, uh, if I'm working at night, I only have one lamp on, and that is a lamp right on my desk. The computer's there and so on and so on. And that lamp I can have on for hours, and after I've had it on for hours, I can hold it. It's cold. It's a beautiful light. It takes about a minute to come on. I don't know what kind of light it is. Rob, you'd be able to tell us. But but it's cold. It's it's a cold light. It's a beautiful light. I love it. So I'm working away there. And then days over, I plug my phone in for recharge. I turn the light off and I head for the door. Now, right beside the door out, there is a library. What do you call it? Bookcase. Bookcase. And so I get up from the light... I walk in the direction of that door, I know exactly where it is, and I go into the bookcase. Now, I know it's stupid. I know it's stupid, but I am an older man, and I don't have the common sense that you young people have. But but, but what's my problem? My problem is I'm in the dark. And so if you want to feel the lump on my... No, it's social distancing. Spiritually speaking, we are in the light, not the darkness. We're not in the gloom, we're not in the shadows, we're not in the fog. The light is on. And the light is shining into us so that by the light spirit, we will show the light. And so he's made his light to shine in our hearts the light that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We're reflectors. That's our ministry. The Gereja Christian Indonesia, in which we worked, which was the Christian Church of Indonesia, daughter of the Dutch Reformed, would have its synod meeting. And uh, synod meeting, I mean, churches of thousands and thousands. And so the synod meeting, there were stacks of people there. My sister Shirley was working on Sunday school curriculum with her team, or under her team, and I was working in other things, uh, scripture teaching in schools and that kind of stuff. So she was with her church family over there, and I was with our church family over here. <clears throat> and one of the songs that was, that was suggested for the synod meeting was not one that we normally sing in our assembly meetings here in Australia. It was Jesus Bids a Shine, which we... You learned in Sunday school? Yeah, good, good, good. Uh, did you learn the, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? Yeah, don't let Satan bow it out. 
Okay, so I'm on one side and there's hundreds of people there, all representatives from the local churches and Sister Shirley's over there. And when we, we sort of took our hymn books and we opened them up to uh, number 322, whatever it was, and we started to sing. And Jesus be just shine, etc., etc., etc. And I looked across at Shirley and all of a sudden I saw her finger come up. This little light, and it was this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, don't let Satan blow it out. And I saw Shirley go, and we sort of grinned at each other and so on and so on. We need to teach our kids good songs, don't we? Um, Jesus bids us shine. But that's the truth of this. Jesus bids us shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. That's the ministry. We can contrast it with other things. They're over here. But ours is to present that plainly through life, through word. Because spiritually speaking... We don't want to be crashing into bookcases all the time, do we? In other words, we need to keep the light turned on. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the great example that we have before us. Jesus, the light of the world. According to the bond slave of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, we are to reflect that light through word, through testimony, through life, that others will see the light and hear the words, come to me, take my hand. Amen.